Lord, it is such a privilege to come to your house and worship you in, in spirit and truth and in singing, Lord, and in our Bible study. And, and Lord, we know that by your Holy Spirit, you spoke these words through holy man of God years ago. Uh, Lord, and all 66 books are inspired by you. And all 66 books are give us knowledge about you. And James is no exception, Lord. In this great passage we're going to look at today, we're going to learn things about you that we see nowhere else in the Bible, Lord. We know those things, but, we, we, but James brings them out in just a special way. How, how in you, Lord, there's, there's, there's no darkness. You're all light. There's, you don't tempt anyone to sin, Lord. There's no shadow or turning in you, Lord. We can trust you. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, we're just so blessed to be here and to study your word and to, to be able to worship you and by looking at your word and, and just seeing all the things that you've done for us, you're going to do for us, and just what a privilege it is to serve you, Lord. We just ask for you to bless our study today by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Brenda's cousin and her husband came by this past week to visit with us, and they were commenting on how much they love to come to Louisiana because it's so green here. And I said, there's a reason it's so green here. It rains a lot here. That's why it's so green. You know, I miss, I got to say one thing, I miss living out west. I mean, where, where you see those beautiful blue skies and it seems that the sun just shines forever. I mean, I miss that. I mean, there's times in Louisiana, I got to tell you, there's times where, I mean, we're heading into one of those times right now where, where maybe days or even weeks or even months at a time we don't see the sun. I mean, it gets really dark. And I don't know about you, but I get depressed when it's really dark and cloudy and rainy for a long period of time like that. And that's why sometimes you'll hear about me escaping off in an airplane somewhere in the winter to get away from all the darkness. And, and, and you know why I like to do that? Because as soon as you get on the airplane, I mean, you don't have to go but a few thousand feet and you get above the clouds and above the darkness. And all of a sudden you're in a place where, where the sun shines always. And, and I like a place like that. And I love Lafayette, don't get me wrong, but, but it does rain a lot here. Well, what does that have to do with our study? Well, last week James began his book by telling us to do what? To count it all joy when we go through various trials. I mean, how, how can we count it joy when we go through these seasons of darkness? I mean, these, these, when it's raining trouble in our life, when it's, when it's dark and dreary. Well, he's going to tell us just how we do that today in, in this lesson that we're going to look at beginning in verse number 9. We're in the book of James towards the end of the Bible, uh, towards Revelation. Most of you know where Revelation is. And, and uh, we're going to be picking up at chapter number 1 and verse number 9. And look what he says right away. How can you have joy in the midst of all of this dreariness? Here's how you do it. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Now, you see the play on words he uses right there? I mean, it doesn't seem, those words don't seem to go together. Lowly and exaltation, they don't seem to go together at all, do they? I mean, how can you glory when, when in, in your situation when you're lowly, when it's raining trouble in your life? And, and uh, it, it just seems like it's never going to get better. How can you glory in that? Well, you can glory in that because you know that when you're down, God is about to lift you up. I mean, cheer up. I mean, the sunny skies are on the horizon. I mean, 
What you're going through now is only for your exaltation. God's going to use it for your exaltation. Uh, contrast that to those who think they're really doing well, that they're flying high, that they're in sunny skies. Look at the next verse. He says, but the rich in his humiliation. That doesn't seem to go together either. The rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen uh, with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flowers fails and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. You know, every year I buy my wife roses for Valentine's Day. Every once in a while I, I see some on the clearance rack. And one year I bought some of those roses on the clearance rack. Well, I learned something about roses then. They don't last very long because the very next day those roses were turning, turning colors. I mean, they were fading away really fast. And that's the way it is with a, a rich person. And we're not talking so much about rich in money here. We're talking about someone who is trusting in their riches. Uh, uh, someone who thinks they're living high but they're living without Christ. And if you're living without Christ, you're about to be brought low. That's what James is talking about right there. At some point, you're going to be brought low if you don't have Jesus Christ. That's what the Proverbs say. Proverbs say, pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, let me say this. James is not condemning wealth. He's not saying it's wrong to have wealth. He's not saying that at all. I mean, God, in the, you just study the scriptures, God made a lot of people wealthy in the Bible. And we're going to see in verse number 13 that God tempts no one with evil, and so God wouldn't give someone riches in order to tempt them with evil. And so if God gives somebody riches, what is he doing? He's blessing that person. And God does that. He blesses people. And, and you look at some of the characters in the Bible. I mean, that guy Noah, I mean, he had to be a pretty rich guy, didn't he? I mean, he, he took off work for 100 years to build an ark, so he had to have some money somewhere. I mean, not many people could take off work for 100 years and live like he did and build this giant ark. So God must have blessed him with a lot of riches. We look at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the, the patriarchs. They were made wealthy by God. All of the kings in the Old Testament were made wealthy by God. So there's no sin in having wealth. But it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'll tell you the reason, because they trust in their wealth. But a poor man who has a jar of pennies in his closet and he's trusting in that jar of pennies is in the same boat as the rich man who's trusting in his millions. And so, you know, we live in a country and I, and, and, and I think it's one of the big problems we have and with getting people to trust in the Lord is that we have wealth in this country. I wonder when God might take that away, you know, for the, for the very reason to get people to turn from their wealth and turn to him. I mean, I think sometimes as Christians, we trust way too much in our bank accounts and way too much in our pension funds and way too much in the government when we should be trusting in the Lord. But if we don't trust in the Lord, then, hey, those riches at some point, I don't care how wealthy you are. At some point, those riches are like a flower. Flower, They're going to fade away, and they're not going to be there. So trusting in riches is a, is a really dangerous uh, pursuit. And now he goes back away from the rich people, and he talks about the brethren, those who trust in the Lord. Look at what he says, and, and, and look at this, what he says in verse number 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. 
Now, the word temptation in the Bible is used in two different contexts. One, in one context, is used to refer to trials. Blessed is the man who endures trials. In verse number 2, when you see the word trials, that's the same word for temptation that you see down in verse number 12. So blessed is the man that endures trials. But it's also used in the context of temptation to sin. And, 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 and when the devil tempts us or when our flesh tempts us. Uh, in this context, in verse number 12, I think it means mo both. When it gets to verse number 13 and 14, we're going to be looking at it in the context of being tempted to sin. But look at verse number 12 to start with. He says, blessed is the man who endures temptations, who endures trials, who endures temptation to sin. For when he has been approved, he will, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, we get a wonderful promise right here in the first part of this verse. We are blessed when we endure trials and temptations. We are blessed. It's a blessing to endure trials and temptations. And one day, if we're approved, then we're going to receive the crown of life. Well, what does he mean by being approved? When he means by, what he means by being approved here, he means being proven true. Being proven true. It was a word used in that culture to, to refer to coins that were true, that weren't counterfeit. That what they would do in, in that culture, they would base the value of the coin upon how much it weighed and what kind of metal it was, whether it was brass or silver or gold. In the United States, you can weigh your dollars, and they all weigh the same. You can have a $1,000 bill and a $1 bill, and it all weighs the same. Now, that spells a lot of trouble to me somewhere in the future. If I can't even, all I can do is look at that and see a different denomination, and there's nothing there to weigh, there's nothing there to test. We're living in an entirely different culture than they lived in. But what they would do, the, the money changers, because there were counterfeiters everywhere, and what the counterfeiters would do, they would mix gold with brass to make more gold. But what they would do, they would weigh it, and they could tell by the weight if it was truly gold. They could tell by putting it through the fire if it was truly gold. And that's what God does with us. He puts us through these trials, through the fire, in order to prove us whether or not we're real or whether or not we're counterfeit. You let God test you enough. If you think you have really strong faith, just tell the Lord that. Say, Lord, I've got really strong faith and you can test me all you want. No, don't tell the Lord that. Because he will oblige you and he will test you and you will find out you really don't have that strong of faith. I mean, I get sometimes thinking, man, I got, some, I got strong faith. And the minute I start thinking that, God knocks my house of cards down and I'm, I'm, I'm down to the ground. I mean, if your faith is tested and you resist temptation, and you resist every temptation that comes your way, you've got really strong faith. If you can go through any trial and you can praise the Lord, not with your mouth, but with your heart. I mean, we all can say, Lord, I hate you in your heart, and then say, we praise you, Lord. You know, but, but if you can praise the Lord through any trial he puts you through, you've got really strong faith. And this verse indicates to me that we're gonna, we can expect trials the rest of our life because he says, uh, he says 
Blessed is he who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. When do we receive the crown of life? Well, we receive the crown of life when this is all, this life, is, this earthly life is all over. So you can expect trials from now on. So he's always going to be proving our faith. And sometimes uh, we're going to fall. And if we fall a lot, does that mean we're not saved? No, that means we've probably got weak faith. I mean, if we, if we go through a trial and we get bitter and we get angry, does that mean we don't have any faith? No, that means we have weak faith. And I believe a lot of us do have weak faith if we're honest with ourselves. But here's the thing I want you to see. If you go through a trial and you go, walk away from the Lord because you don't like the trial and you go back to the world, your faith has been tested and your faith is counterfeit. If you walk through a temptation comes and you fall into sin and you never repent of that sin, then, hey, your faith has been tested and it's been proven to be counterfeit. Now, notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say he's promised the crown of life to those who endure. What does he say? He says he's promised it to those who love him. Why does he say that? There are a lot of people that teach that it's your endurance that saves you. Your, your endurance doesn't save you at all. It's your love for Christ that saves you. And where do you get that love? You get that love when you get born again. So it's your faith in Christ that saves you. And if you have real faith, you're going to be saved, and you're not going to walk away from the Lord. Your endurance doesn't save you. It will never save you. If you think your endurance will save you, you're going to be tested on that too, and you're going to be shown that you won't endure. Because when it gets really difficult, the devil wants to come at you hard enough. He can get you to blaspheme the Lord. He can get you to turn away from the Lord. So, uh, but if you do, if your faith is real and you endure trials and you endure temptations, then guess what you're promised? You're promised the crown of life. What a great promise. You know, James is called a sourpuss by a lot of people. But man, he gives us some of the greatest truths, the most... Blessed truth in the entire word of God. I mean, what a promise that if you endure temptations, not through your own effort, but because you're saved, then you're going to receive the crown of life. What's the crown of life? Well, we think of the crown of life maybe as eternal life, but it's not so much time that he's talking about. He's talking about quality of life. He's talking about the abundant life. It certainly is eternal life. The crown of life is eternal life. But when you receive the life that God gives you, you receive the life of God. It's a blessed life. It's a holy life. It's a righteous life. It's a life lived above the clouds where the skies are sunny forever. It's where you're living in the very presence of God. And you can. Be, when does eternal life begin? It begins when you believe in Jesus Christ. Then in verse number 13, look at what he says. He says, let no one say when he is tempted I am tempted by God now nobody will ever say God made me do it I, I, I've never heard that but I've heard other things what did Adam do when he sent in the garden I mean what did Eve do who did Eve blame serpent made me do it the devil made me do it and then Adam was approached what, you know why would you do it Adam and he said that woman you gave me made me do it. I, that's what I do. I blame every time I sin, I blame it on my wife. <laughs> when he was blaming it on that woman, though, and he said, the woman you gave me. Who was he blaming? He 
he was blaming God. And that's what James said. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone himself. John tells us in 1 John 1, 5, he tells us, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness. No darkness at all. And the reason God can't be tempted or tempt anyone is because he is light. He is perfectly good. He's goodness incarnate. There's no evil in him. He can't sin and he can't tempt another to sin. Now someone would say at this point, and if you have a, one of those minds where you like to debate theology in your head, you've probably asked this question yourself. Wait a minute. If God can't tempt anyone, didn't God create the devil? Didn't God, I mean, if God can't uh, have anything to do with evil, didn't God create us and we're evil? I mean, in fact, God said about us, there's none righteous, no, not one. God did create the devil, and God did create us, but he did not create us to be evil. That's not the way he created us. I mean, to understand what I'm saying right here, you have to understand what the word evil means. What's the word evil mean? It means to go against the nature of God. So by the very definition, if e evil is to go against the nature of God, then evil can't have anything to do with God. It can't come from God because God's not evil. If God... Had, if God, if God says blue is pretty then blue is pretty if God says blue is ugly blue is ugly and and if we want to say it's pretty if he says it's ugly then we're going against the nature of God but I mean God created it so it's beautiful and blue is beautiful he created those dark skies I was talking about earlier too and the rain too and the lightning and in some ways that's beautiful it's not evil and so but he he created the devil and the devil is evil and he created us and we're evil but we're evil because and the devil's evil because he created us with a choice we were given a choice we were given a choice to act and be like God or not to act and be like God which is sin and what is sin sin is missing the mark it's missing the mark that God has set by his very nature who he is he's the one who determines what is good or evil but he's given us a choice. We can be like God, and we can obey God, and we can be godly, or we can live ungodly, and we can sin, and we can miss the mark. So he gave us that choice. Why did he give us that choice? And I know it's kind of cliche, but, but uh, God gave us that choice because he didn't want us to be like robots. He wanted us to, to, to be able to love him, and you can only love someone. He wanted us to be able to worship him, and you can only worship someone. If you have a choice you know when you come here on Sunday mornings and and you sing those songs you have a choice you have a choice not to sing you have a choice which would be to me evil you have a choice not to not to focus on the Lord and I'm not saying you're evil people because you do this. because there's times I'm thinking about other things too but you have a choice to focus on the Lord and praise the Lord or you have a choice not to you have a choice to think about man what am I gonna eat as soon as I get out of here you know, where are we going to go this afternoon? What's the movie we're going to go see? Or whatever. And those things are not evil in, in and of themselves. But we have a choice to worship God. 
And we have a choice to go pray to God in the morning and the in the midday and evening like Daniel did. That's a choice. We have a choice to pray without ceasing like Paul exhorted us to do. That's a choice. If God made us where we had to pray, then prayer wouldn't be love. Prayer wouldn't be worship, would it? So God's given us that choice. When we're, when we're given a, a, a moral compass and we have a choice to obey that compass or disobey that compass, when we're given the law, we have a choice to obey that law or disobey that law. That's our choice to say, God, I love you. Or God, I really don't care about you. Or God, this time I've slipped up. Look at verse number 14. He says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away, not by God, and really not by the devil. You, you know, you really can't be drawn away by the devil. That's a choice you make. You can be tempted by the devil, but you can't be drawn away by the devil. Look what he says. He says, then when desire has conceived... Did I miss one? Yeah, no, verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You know the main reason the devil tempts us? The main reason he tempts us is to draw us away from the light. To take us out of the sunny skies, which represent the presence of the Lord, out of the sunny skies and into darkness into darkness where we're miserable and depressed and we're unable to worship and serve the Lord the way he wants us to worship and serve him. But whose fault is it? Whose fault does the word say it is? The, the word says very clear, clearly, it says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. It's our own fault when we're drawn away from God. And then in verse number 15, he says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Wow. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The reason it's so dark for a lot of us the reason it's raining down trouble on a lot of us is because of our sin. And where does that sin begin? It begins in the mind. It begins when we're, the devil tempts us with a thought, an evil thought. When our flesh, not, it's not always the devil, when our flesh tempts us with an evil thought. And then we embrace that thought and we begin to act on that thought then sin is born. Is that God's fault? No, that's our fault. We have the culpability for that sin, not God. And what should we be doing? You're going to have temptations. The devil's going to throw evil thoughts in your mind. Your flesh is going to give you the most evil thought you could possibly... If you're a born-again believer, I don't know if it happens to you, but there's times when I'll have a thought, of, whoa, where did that come from? You know, whoa, that, that's a very unholy thought. I wouldn't tell you some of those thoughts because y'all would throw me out of here. You wouldn't listen to me. And I wouldn't be speaking to you if I knew some of the things you think too. But you get one of those crazy, evil, evil thoughts. I mean, beyond anything you, you would ever think you would think of. And it comes from the devil or it comes from your flesh. And you've got a choice at that point. 
What, is, what does Paul say, I think, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10? He says we're to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ, to the will of Jesus Christ is what he's saying. And if it's not of the will of Jesus Christ, what do we do with that thought? We cast it out as far as we can and we get it away from it. Now, if we embrace that thought, see, sin isn't getting an evil thought but, or, or, or thinking something evil. Sin is acting on that thought. And that's where the choice comes in. When we get that evil thought, we can embrace that thought and we can begin to act on it. And when we begin to act on it, then we sin is conceived. Just like a little baby, it's conceived in your mind. And you might not be deep into it yet, but you've conceived a baby. And if you, let that, if you nurse that little baby of sin, it's going to grow until it's full grown. And when it's full grown, it's going to kill. It's going to kill. It's going to kill... It's going to kill uh, your mind. It's going to kill your body. It's going to kill your joy and happiness. It's going to uh, uh, have you living in this fog of despair. And without repentance from that sin, it will kill your soul. If you don't repent of that sin through Jesus Christ, it will kill your soul. And there's a lot of us that are doing a lot more dying than we are living because we're grabbing these thoughts. And you know, we're immersed in a culture where there's nothing but evil thrown at us. I mean, you go watch a movie, and I mean, it's, it, and I'm not trying to tell you don't go watch movies, because I watch movies too, but I wonder sometimes why I do. I mean, there's nothing you can watch on TV anymore. I mean, you can't watch the news without having evil thoughts thrown at you one after the other. And eventually something's going to stick. And so, you know, I envy these people that just, Tear themselves away from the world totally. Be ye separate. Come out from her, the Lord says. Come out from the world. And I will be your father and you will be my children. And you'll know that I'm your father. You'll know that you're my child. Because you'll be full of the Spirit, not full of all these evil thoughts. And then he says in verse number 16, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So who's he talking to there when he says my beloved brother and sister? And who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. He says, do not be deceived. You know what he's saying there? Literally what that word or that phrase means, do not be deceived. It means do not go astray. It's a term used for sheep that went astray. And I hate to tell you this, but you're a sheep. Yeah, right. And I'm a sheep. We're all sheep, little sheep, stupid little sheep. I watched a movie a while back, and there was this dog on the hill of this this dog on the uh, chasing after these sheep. It was a dog the guy had just bought. He had this big herd of sheep, and and he bought this dog, and he was training him. And the dog chased after the sheep and and chased them to the edge of a cliff, and they just kept going over the cliff one after the other until every one of them was dead. You know, we're just about as dumb as those sheep. And James says, do not be deceived. Do not go astray. Stick close to who? Stick close to the good shepherd. Well, I love that passage in John, over in John chapter 10. You want to flip there for a minute. Don't you love the good shepherd? Boy, he's so good. I love the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am 
When he said that I am, you know what he was saying. I am Jehovah. There's a bunch, there's like seven, there is seven of those great I am statements in the book of John. I am the good shepherd. Verse number 14 of chapter 10 of John. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. I know them all. Jump ahead to verse number 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me most of the time. But it doesn't matter whether they follow me most of the time or not. Some of them are going to go astray. The Lord knows that. He says, and I give them eternal life. Uh, no, I give them life if they endure. I give them life if they're good, if they don't do bad things. I give them, no, I give them how much life? Eternal life. If God gives you eternal life and takes it back because you're bad, it's not eternal life. When God gives me eternal life, I don't know about you, but he's given me life forever. He's the good shepherd, and he knows his sheep, and his sheep hear his voice, and he gives us eternal life forever. And they shall, what? Never perish. If, 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 if. Is there an if there? No, my sheep will never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, greater than them. They can't even snatch themselves out of my hand. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand because I and the Father are one. Now you might go astray. You, and when you go astray, let me warn you, you're getting outside the hedge of protection of God. And it could cost you. It can cost you dearly. And I'll tell you what, when you get outside, the, when you go astray, back into this world, doing things you know you shouldn't do, let me tell you where you're heading. You're heading out of the sunny skies, and you're heading into darkness and dreariness. And it's going to rain down a lot of trouble in your lives. But here's what I want you to see. If you're his sheep, you're still a sheep. Because he says, I'll leave the 99 and I'll go after the one who's gone astray. Boy, I got to tell you, I was so far out there when he came after me. Left the 99 and came after me. I was so far out there. I, I didn't think, if you knew how far out there I was, you'd say there's no way he could have gotten you back. Or brought you into his fold. But he did. Because he's the good shepherd. And he loves his sheep. He's the great shepherd and he blesses his sheep. You know how much he blesses you? You want to see how much he blesses you? Go, go back to James. See, again, James is not a sourpuss. Look at what he says. Look at verse number 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning there's no cloudy days with God there's no shadow of turning there's no variation he's the same yesterday today and tomorrow if he loves you today he's going to love you forever he gives you eternal life and you you talk about encouragement chapters verse 17 and 18 those are two of the most encouraging verses in the Bible you know 
Back in verse number two, it started out kind of like maybe James was a sourpuss. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Oh, sure, James. How can I count it all joy when I fall into various trials? Because every good gift, every perfect gift comes from the Lord. And if the good shepherd sends a trial my way, it is a perfect gift. He's working something wonderful in my life if I'll just trust him so I can count it all joy. And let me tell you what, verse number 5 we looked at, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, this verse right here tells me God wants to give me what? A good gift, a perfect gift. So if I'm looking for a car, who should I ask? The Ford salesman? No, I should ask the Lord. The Ford salesman's out to get your money. He's out to give you a lemon. Not necessarily. Ford's, Ford stands for what? Fix or repair daily? I, I like Ford's. I'm joking. But the Lord wants to give you what's best. So if I want to go get a car or a motorcycle whimpered, I'm going to give that to the Lord. I'm going to pray. Now, there's some times when you don't pray. <laughs> You, get, you just buy on impulse. I've done that myself. But every time I've bought something where I've prayed before I bought it, it's been a perfect gift. I mean, I look at my, my home, it's been a perfect gift. And we prayed a lot about that home, and it became a perfect gift. I mean, I, we've been there 11 years now. I mean, our cars, we've had those cars 10 years, and, and they've never been in the shop. I mean, I mean well, they, they, the oil's been changed tires have been changed but they've never broken down on us if your car's breaking down every day I guarantee you the Lord didn't give it to you you probably bought it on impulse I talked to a young man a few weeks back and he bought him a Dodge a particular car and he paid he's paying like 800 a month in payments and he makes about 1200 a month and he's got a family you, you think the Lord Gave him that car? No. No, the Lord gives us perfect gifts. He's the father of lights. He's nothing but light. It's always sunshine if you're in the Lord. He's above the clouds of darkness. Well, there's a lot better things he gives us than, than cars and homes. Let me tell you what he's given us. He's given us his perfect word. This Bible is his perfect word. You know, I know it's a cliche, but it is his love letter to you and me. I mean, you want to read this. This, is, this thing, let me, let me pr I promise you this. As a student of the word, I promise you this. If you'll take this word and get serious about studying this word, you're going to get blessed. You're going to get blessed in a powerful way. And if you doubt whether it's real or not, or whether it's the word of God or not, you study it long enough, you will know every word of this is the word of God. You can't help but see the supernatural weaving in, 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 into the, that took place in the writing of this word. If you read the word, if you give it a chance, it's the very word of God. He's given us his word. He, gave us, he gave us the creation. He created us. He gave us life. And he gave us the greatest gift. I promise you, you're gonna, if you don't know it now, you're going to know it one day. When you see him, he gave us the greatest gift of all, the word, the logos. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Logos, Jesus Christ, He gave us the Word. And He gave us, and what does that mean to us? Well, look at verse 18. He says, of His own will, He brought us forth by the Logos. The Logos of truth. Jesus Christ and His truth. He, he brought us forth. We were born again by His Word that we might be, look at this, you tell me this isn't good news, the first fruits of his creatures, of his own will, of his own loving heart. From his own loving heart, he took a wretch like me and a wretch like you, and he gave us new life. He gave us the divine seed. He took us out of the darkness into sunny skies forever. I like the way the living Bible translates. I'm not recommending that Bible, but I do like the way it translates this, this phrase, the first fruits of his creatures. What it means is the first children of his family. You're, you're the first children of his family first and foremost to him if he's got a wallet I know it's a big wallet because every, he owns everything but in that wallet he's got a picture of you and you're his favorite child every single one of you are his second favorite child I'm his first <laughs> no you're his favorite you're his first too we're all the first children of God as to many as received him to them he gave power to become the children of God James isn't such bad news is it so when those times come and they're going to come when you experience those dark cloudy days those wintry seasons let me tell you what you can do you can get on your prayer plane and you can go to a place where it's sunny skies always you can get above the clouds you can get above the storms and you can get above the rain just what the author of Hebrews told us didn't he we've come to a heavenly Jerusalem to Mount Zion, the city of God, into the very presence of God, a God who never changes. And in him there is no variation or shadow of turning. He's always the same. He's always light. He's always goodness. And he's always there if you'll just turn to him. And he's always working good in our lives. That's how we can count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so blessed, so blessed to be given this insight into your word about just who you are. We know that, Lord. We've experienced that. We've, we've, we've seen you give us good and perfect gifts. We've seen that, Lord, when we've gone astray, you've brought us back into the fold. Lord, we've seen your light. We've, 
We, we know in you there is no sin. There is no temptation to sin. There are no shadows, Lord. There's no turning. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are in Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.